and welcome back. Uh, can I use your mic? DJ, hit me! This is the craziest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Gary Hoffman. The problem, sir, is that our hero is not, uh, he's not a handsome man. Shannon Farron. The whole crowd banged together and started chanting. Gary and Shannon. That's how the show started. All you have to do is wait a second. A little sick. Shit, that was disgusting. <laughs> uh. I apologize for that hypothetical. I, you know what? I need to now change. <laughs> I'm sorry. That wasn't fair. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, we have a, a special thing actually coming up on Friday. We'll talk more about it as we get a bit closer. Tomorrow is Friday, is yes. it not? Yes. Ah. Where'd the week go? Uh, Borop John from the morning show came in today and he expressed uh, the, the um, same sentiment that we had about the month of April, which was, there was April? Uh, it came and went, and we were all busy and thinking about other stuff, and all of a sudden, now, look, it's almost June. Yes. Anyway, tomorrow is Friday. Tomorrow we have a very special event because we were supposed to be doing a news and brews tomorrow at uh, Bravery Brewing up in Lancaster. So, tomorrow afternoon, we are going to post our first ever virtual news and brews event uh, with some uh, some people there from Bravery where we do a beer and cheese tasting. And we'll tell you how you can see it. You can watch the whole thing uh, on um, uh, online, and we'll post it tomorrow. So just pay attention. We'll, we'll talk more about it as we get closer to it tomorrow afternoon. Here is where we're at. L.A. County reported 50 more deaths from the coronavirus. Orange County has recorded its highest single-day death toll with 10, eight of those at skilled nursing home facilities. Now, interestingly enough, the results of the latest coronavirus antibody testing showed a drop in the percentage of L.A. County residents believed to have been infected at some point. That is being taken as an indication that the spread of the virus is slowing. Which is great. Which is great. Most California counties have won state approval to move ahead with reopening restaurants and other businesses. A few are ignoring the rules. Tulare County is getting threatened with the withholding of disaster relief funds. I don't know how you could do that. After supervisors there voted to allow barber shops, movie theaters, and churches to reopen without the state's permission. Again, I don't know how you're going to be able to withhold disaster relief funds if some disaster hits Tulare County. You're not going to say, ah, screw you people. Um, there's a weird thing going on about any good news that comes out of statistics. Listen, you could use all the statistics you want to figure out to show the good, to show the bad, to show it's not spreading, to show it is spreading. They're kind of like crime numbers, though. You can fudge them any way you want to. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the problem with the the statistics and trying to figure out which numbers you're going to look at. I've we've talked about it multiple times. Which of these metrics are, should we use to determine if we're making progress or not? And there was a uh, there's a headline in the L.A. Times, which I, I was just trying to find it now, and, and I can't find it on their website. 
Um, but it was about basically the California is making good progress when it comes to the fight against coronavirus. But that's not what I can't find it anywhere now because California is finally making progress in the coronavirus battle, even as deaths keep rising. How come I can't see? No, 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 no. It was it was there was no negative in it. There was no there was well, no headlines change. That may be what happened that, because that happens a lot with the L.A. Times and they have different headlines, print versus online as well. That are drastically different sometimes. If you go through and you read the original article about that, the L.A. Times put out looking at statistics and showing that, uh, among other things, like hospitalization rates are down 15 percent from their peak. Yeah, this is the same article um, because it says across California, like you just said, those have dropped by 15 percent from its peak six weeks ago. But then they then they tie it to the fact that we had our highest number of deaths reported in one day. That's not that that is not the way we can do this. No, because those are old cases. They're old cases. And we've already discussed this. L.A. since L.A. County is the biggest reporter of deaths and L.A. County is one of those places where those deaths that occur over the weekend aren't reported until Monday. So the or or Monday or Tuesday. So those death numbers on Sunday and Monday are going to be abnormally low. You've got to look at it at a you've got to pull back a little bit and do, I don't know, a five day rolling average or a seven day average, whatever it is. And therefore, uh, the the current week that we're in, even though Tuesday had a particularly high number statewide, the week that we're in is not wildly different than we've seen over the last three or four weeks. Sacramento County got a green light to reopen dine in restaurants. Which I find fascinating, the whole Sacramento County thing. Very populous county and has not had a a big time with this. Has not had a hard time with this. But think about it. Flat. And there's plenty of places in Sacramento County that are rural enough that it wouldn't be an issue. That's true. Santa Clara County, I think, is a bigger surprise because I think for the first time that they've gone without uh, deaths, uh, significant death in – and Santa Clara, remember – was the first place originally reported in California to have a case. In Santa Clara County, in early April, 9% of people tested positive, tested had positive results. 9%. In recent days, just 1% to 1.5% of people are testing positive there. That's an amazing number. I think in, in L.A. County yesterday, they announced of all the tests, 9% of people were testing positive. The governor set a goal of fewer than or less than 8% of people who are tested need to test positive in terms of making sure that we keep that at a manageable number, which means that we in L.A. County are a lot closer to that metric than we thought we would be. Santa Clara County dropped to six deaths last week, the lowest tally in 10 weeks. My question about this whole thing is, I mean, to, to point out that article, is why can't they just write a positive article? And why well, they can't-, can't because they don't want people to say, well, then screw it, and I'm going to go out and lick the toilets. Um, Gavin Newsom said this week that the decrease in the state's hospitalizations was key for him. He said, remember, the whole purpose of the stay-at-home order was to prepare and to respond in the worst-case scenario. We didn't have that. Right. We never saw the spike, and that's a credit not only to perhaps what we were doing in terms of our stay for at home, stay at home, and you know don't go out unless it's essential, but also because we're different. California is different geographically, physically, density-wise. I mean, all of these things, sunshine-wise, all of these things are different in California than they are in other places around the country. I'm looking at you, New York and New Jersey, 
then that makes a difference in terms of how it is that we respond to this, how we have to respond to it, and how it's you know, how it just behaves here. They said that they're looking at the hospitalizations to have a stable or falling number. And they say hospitalizations considered stable if the average daily increase in patients is under 5% over the past week. Smaller counties can meet the standard if they show no more than 20 hospitalizations on any single day in the past two weeks. All of these things are, are great. I mean, if you imagine where we were five weeks ago, four weeks ago, and the terror that a lot of people still felt about what was going to happen and where we were going to be. The fact that we have, we built hospitals that were never used or barely used. We had a, we had a hospital ship at the pier that was that barely used. I mean, these are all fantastic things. And now we've literally got tens of thousands of people who have signed up to help the state in some way should that second wave, that surge, whatever it looks like, come, there are people who are saying, raising their hands and saying, take me, I'll help out in any way that I can. Yeah, that's what the governor said as well, is we're set up to handle uh, any sort of surge like that. But like you said earlier, we're very close in L.A. County, closer than we thought, because that state maximum for people tested positive is 8% and we're at 9%. Yeah. So that's good news. And the more the more people that we test, generally we've seen that percentage of positives actually go down. So that's all fantastic news. So July 4th, I mean, we talked about it yesterday, July 4th. If we get there and we're not reopened, people are going to lose their minds. I feel like now when I'm looking at the numbers, we'll be ready before July 4th. Well, yes, you look at the numbers and you see that. But an epidemiologist looks at the numbers and they live in a different... What the hell do they know, Gary? I do this every day for four hours. What do they do? Go to school. Uh, yes. So I agree with you. If, if I'm hopeful. I want to talk about sports yes. and what we learned from 1918 and some of the headlines in the papers from back then. Uh, it's eerie, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I've, it's amazing to read through old. Uh, I saw a cover of the Seattle Times, actually, yeah. from uh, from back then. A couple things. The president's on his way to Michigan. Air Force One just took off. Uh, Three big things hovering over that. Number one, the flooding that's going on, the dam breaks in Michigan, uh, his battle over the push for mail-in ballots in that swing state. And then, is he going to wear a mask? Ford says they require everyone in their factories to to wear a mask. The attorney general says mask wearing is also law in Michigan. So, we'll see. All right, Gary and Shannon, more coming up. I'm well on my way to my dreams coming true and I'm getting to do it with you. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Mentioned the president's on his way to a Ford motor plant in Michigan. They've been making ventilators. Uh, so we'll pay attention to that when he lands in Michigan. I don't know if it'll be before the end of our show, but uh, it'll be happening today. More than 2.4 million people applied for U.S. unemployment benefits last week, the latest wave of layoffs. So we're looking at now 38.6 million people who have filed for jobless aid. And then a couple of shootings in the news, one at a mall, the Westgate Entertainment District in Glendale, Arizona, uh, near where the uh, the Cardinals play. 
And then also the Navy says that a security team neutralized an active shooter at a Texas Naval Air Station at Naval Air Station Corpus Christi. I was just thinking this morning, we haven't had many shootings in the news. And then there are one-two punch right there. Zero school shootings. Uh, Lori Lott, well, yeah. School's not in session. I know. It's a positive thing, right? It's okay. I'll take it. Uh, Lori Lachlan and her husband, Massimo, have agreed to plead guilty. We'll get into that coming up. I don't want your life. I have a total theory on why this happened, which is not, (laughs) it's not groundbreaking. It's pretty obvious. Um, Well, I saw this picture this morning from Grant Field in 1918 at a Georgia Tech game, and it was eerie because it's a black and white photo. And it's a close-up of the stands, and every man, because there's only men in it, uh, they are all wearing face masks, and it looks like they're about three feet apart, sitting about three feet apart from each other. So half social distancing. Half social distancing. 1918's version of social distancing. They said that once fans were allowed back in stadiums, there was a boom. It was really what started the big boom of college football in the 20s. According to historians, people were ready. They were back from the war. They wanted to play football again. There weren't as many restrictions about going out. And the headlines were dominated by what could be done safely to resume sports. Georgia Tech professor of sports history, Johnny Smith, said, I think a lot of people will hesitate to attend sporting events as spectators until there is a proven vaccine and that there are parallels in what we can learn from 1918 in terms of how we respond. Yeah. So cities were hesitant. They didn't impose the closure orders as quickly and they had far more fatalities. We talked about that early on in terms of how cities and local governments responded in the Spanish flu. But he says, I think the lesson we could draw in general from 1918 about how to respond to a pandemic is that closure orders and social distancing are effective. I mean, we've seen that. We've proven that. We've been able to see that in probably in a way much more clearly than they could see it in 1918. In October of 1918, the Washington Post carried a story that declared the epidemic sweeping the country has dealt the death blow to necessary preparations And with the stage still undetermined, the outlook is anything but bright. We used to write so much better back then. (laughs) We didn't didn't write for idiots back then. That's that's true. How did it hit the sports world? Penn coach Bob Fulwell, first coach of the New York Giants, was hospitalized with the Spanish flu, missed six weeks during that season. West Virginia didn't field a team. At least one player died when he ignored the cold that morphed into the virus. The Missouri Valley Conference, which was Kansas, Kansas State, Missouri, shut down for the season. Now, the the difference, I would say, between the Spanish flu and what we're dealing with today clearly is that it hits it. The Spanish flu uh, made a name for itself because it was killing otherwise young, healthy people. Normal flus go after the extremely young and the extremely old. That's always been the case. But for some reason, the Spanish flu was causing these cytokine storms within otherwise healthy people, and the bacteria storm that would take place would be the things that would eventually kill them. That's not the way we're dealing. That's not the way this uh, the coronavirus, COVID nineteen, has been affecting the population. Well, six hundred and seventy five thousand people in this country were wiped out from Spanish flu. Six hundred and fifty yeah. seventy five thousand. Where are we today? Eighty thousand. Yeah, ninety. I think ninety. Okay, so one sixth. Um, 
I found this interesting. Pittsburgh and Michigan shared the national championship, though neither team played more than five games. And and that's what my question has been moving forward as we resume sports is how are you going to determine uh, who's in the playoffs? Yeah. Who's the who are the national champions when, you know, a team could be taken out for four weeks, uh, only play 12 games or something like that. Or maybe one team only plays eight games. And how do you determine who is the best? You may you may only have conference champions. Yeah. I mean, there there may be no national champion yeah, so this year but you'll have a pac 12 champion depending on whether or not all the schools can play an sec champ something like that um the the other the, the thing that you said first though this this georgia tech professor of sports history i think a lot of people will hesitate to attend sporting events as spectators until there's a proven vaccine i have no problem with that if if you're concerned if you know somebody in your family who is compromised if you are older over the age of 65 you will put yourself at risk attending an event like that. But if you're 19 and you want to go to your school's football game, I don't have a problem with that. And I wonder if there's going to be a um, – if you just threw the doors open to college football, for example, you will not fill stadiums. You you just won't. There will be enough people who are fearful about going out, being in large crowds. You will not fill a stadium. And I wonder if that's enough – social distancing uh, to to keep this thing from catching fire again. I just, I, I don't know about football fans and uh, I don't really trust them to adhere to the rules very much. I mean, I, the things I've seen at games, <laughs> y- you expect these people to keep their face masks on uh, through their uh, case of Coors Light that they put down before they get into a fight in the third quarter. Anyway, Lori Lachlan. I miss football. <laughs> I do, too. I do, too. I was just remembering a fight I saw between two ladies. Uh, all right. We will talk about uh, Lori one Lachlan. put her cigar out on the other oh, one's forehead. Man, nothing but class. Yeah. Number one, we forgot that yesterday was Tarzan Wednesday. I saw that when that I was, was going dumb. through, and I saw the sound bites, and I forgot. To I play. hate us. And Kristen just reminded me that it's Boom Shakalaka Thursday. Oh, so we got to get some Boom Shakalaka up in here. All right, there it is. Mm-hmm. All right, okay. There's some Boom Shakalaka. Yeah, there is. Guy goes over there, and. Uh, and then we can play him like this. Yeah! <laughs> All right. So, dumbest, I for everybody who writes in and says this is the dumbest show. Who does that? One hundred percent. Forty on me, break you off proper, and even got the cock and just boom <laughs> That's my favorite. I think Thanks that's definitely my favorite. Chip the Ripper on that one. <laughs> uh, good old Chip. All right. Full House actress Lori Loughlin and her husband Massimo have agreed to serve prison time as part of a plea deal in this college admissions bribery case. Yeah, what a cute story this was. Remember when this was such a big deal? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Uh, remember when I don't want your life. Our yeah. big story for like, I don't know, two months was rich people buying their kids way into college. And we were like, 
That was, it was good, going on for a year. It was a simpler time, it wasn't it? It was a it? much simpler time. We didn't have masks on. We could go to bars and restaurants and Pretty rich people family. paying for their kids to get college degrees. Oh, bless our hearts. Well, so Lori Loughlin apparently has agreed to serve two months behind bars. Janouli would get five months under this deal that has to be approved by the judge, and they're scheduled to plead guilty tomorrow. And I thought to myself as I read this, self, why now? Why the timing? And what then I of- And then self said to me back, self... It's because of the coronavirus. I picture your self voice two packs deep and with a glass of whiskey. Thank you. Thank you. Self, I say the reason they came down now is because of. (laughs) (laughs) My true self. Your true self. Speaking to my public self. Okay, so anyway, it's because if they get two months now and then they go and the lawyers make a case, they want to start serving right away because that's their right. Right. uh, Then they get house arrest because of, you know, coronavirus. Well, everybody is being let out of jail. At least these white collar criminals. Michael Cohen is getting out or got out today. Yeah. Um, It's you're right in that this was the opportunity. The door was open. Right. Uh, I heard Wayne also mention in terms of his history in the federal uh, court system that this appears to have been the absolute best deal that has ever come across the table for them. So she gets two months in prison. He gets five months. She'll pay $150,000. He'll pay $250,000 and then a bunch of community service hours. Yeah, the difference between these is that she pleads to um, conspiracy to commit wire and mail fraud. He also, I mean, he's going to plead guilty to that, but he's also going to plead guilty to a charge of honest services wire and mail fraud. They will dismiss any charges of money laundering uh, and federal programs bribery that were added after this case was originally filed. So uh, I don't know if I don't know what this means in terms of any other outstanding cases. But to be honest, I can't imagine that there are a whole lot of other outstanding cases. These two were the main holdouts. Well, they said that the pandemic has delayed the prison sentences of some parents and allowed others to go home early. Uh, California winemaker Augustine Hoonies. I would not drink wine with the name Hoonies on it. Maybe it's Augustine wines. Unius. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Uh, He or she pleaded guilty, was released from, okay, his five-month prison term two weeks early because of the coronavirus. Uh, The judge has allowed other parents, including the heiress to the Hot Pockets fortune, to put off their prison sentences because of the virus outbreak. Yeah, there's another one, I guess. Uh, Douglas Hodge, ex-CEO of Pacific Investment, allowed to remain free at least until June 30th, and they would consider further delays if the virus hasn't lessened by then. Do you think the Hot Pockets people have their fridge um, freezers packed with Hot Pockets, or do you think they're tired of them? Like I think if- that's... Like, do you think there's just that's a very good question? Thank you. I would imagine they get tired of them unless they have the gourmet version, something like that. Oh, like there's a a next level up version yeah. for the special hot it's pockets like people. Pasquale's is to Chuck E. Cheese. There's there's something different and better about it, it. These are the hot pockets that you don't have to eat sitting on the toilet, right? Yes, <laughs> they probably have a chef they, they who give, makes something they akin a, to a hot pocket. It's, <laughs> Layla's looking at. Yeah, sorry, Layla. Great. I forgot there. Was do a, you do that? Yeah. No, no. It was just. It was just a bad joke. She that I stole from Jim Gaffigan. She eats one hot pocket and then. <laughs> <we> just, <laughs> who 
shakalaka. <laughs> We're so gross. Okay. We're going to class it up when we get back. How are we going to do that? I don't know, but I'm going to come up with it in the next four minutes. Gary and Shannon will class it up. Let's say this, Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Tomorrow we will post on social media our virtual news and brews. We were supposed to be out at uh, Bravery Brewing in Lancaster to kick off Memorial Day weekend. And uh, unfortunately we can't, but tomorrow we'll be posting our virtual news and brews where we do a nice beer and cheese pairing. Four beers, four cheeses. That sounds like an afternoon. So when we recorded this the other day, um, I texted my husband, hey, I'm going to be home a little bit late. I have a Zoom work call. (laughs) And I get home and he's like, so what was your Zoom work meeting all about? Because that's not usual for us. And I said, it was a beer and cheese tasting. He's just shaking his head like that's not work. Right. It's not a work Zoom meeting. You stuff in your face with cheese and washing it down with beer. Isn't work. Right. Because uh, plus, we never had to say <laughs> things like, we're going to circle back on this. Reach around. We're, no, that's a different. Uh, that's a, oh. uh, But we didn't have to cocktail napkin anything or run it up the flagpole or we didn't do any of those stupid idioms. What was that, you that hear one in? that we learned recently? Oh, um, what was it? Nick might remember. It was a female, it was a work call. Yeah. And it was some, was it a stem? Was it climbing a stem? What was that? It was the most bizarre. Is it about branches? Language. I feel like it was Mm. plant related. Neil might remember what it was. (laughs) Anyway, the the language you hear in the real workplace is, is stunning. And, 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 you know, we sit here and we laugh at Gavin Newsom for his turn of phrases. Yeah, the bifurcated and, hybrid reality that we're all finding. You get on one in. of these real, like, real work calls, and you're like, holy hell, this is how people speak? <laughs> you and I just sit here like we're at the end of the bar on a 2, 2 a.m. Uh, bender. Uh, yes. Okay, so Matt Lauer. Matt Lauer, I know him. October 2019, last year, Today producer, former Today producer, Brooke Nevels accused Matt Lauer of raping her in Russia in 2014, oddly, before they began dating. Lauer denied the allegations, and this was all detailed in Ronan Farrow's Catch and Kill book. And Matt Lauer decided to go after Ronan Farrow in a a mediate op-ed. He said, when I found, what I found when I read the book was frankly shocking. And it should concern anyone who cares about journalism. This is not just about accusations against the former host of the Today Show. It's about whether changing social attitudes can be allowed to change the most fund- fundamental rules of journalism. Now listen, that could have been written by Steve Carell's character from The Morning Show. Yes. From, from totally. TV last year. 
because I know a lot of it was based sort of on the NBC Today Show Matt Lauer character, but that sounds like his what would have been his reaction. He said, I'm sorry for the way I conducted myself. I made some terrible decisions. I betrayed the trust of many people. On October 9th, 2019, I was falsely accused of rape. I'm not suggesting that everything Ronan has written in his book is untrue or based on misinformation. But it's clear of over the course of nearly two years, he became a magnet and a willing ear for anyone with negative stories about the network and people who worked for it. So is he basically saying that Ronan Farrow didn't have the sources that used to be required to go to press with accusations like that? Well, from from what I remember about his reporting, it is well sourced and it is well re, uh, researched now. If you're Matt Lauer, I mean, if you're the target of this thing, of course you're going to find fault in what happened. And I don't – I mean, the, the main portions of this, he made terrible decisions. I betrayed the trust of many people. Those are his own admissions. Uh, I, uh, You can argue that, it, you know, he's taking issue with whether or not he was a – he raped somebody. So – but that's exactly the same conversation that – Steve Carell had with Martin Short in the yeah. in the TV episode in the TV series where Martin Short used to talk about the old days when you could have girls and throw a toss into the side kind of thing and uh, didn't matter how old they were or what they looked like or who they worked for or what their names were or anything like that and even uh, uh, Steve Carell in that uh, in the show even he would cast aspersions on Martin Short and say, you're a monster. You're an absolute animal. What I did wasn't like that. I just made bad decisions and had inappropriate relationships with people. Well, I think what the Mediate op-ed does is it kind of says, forget about the subject matter. Let's think about the journalism. And it was shoddy journalism and that he has an issue with that. That's kind of what I took from it. Anyway, he's got a new tattoo. Matt Lauer does. It's on his forearm, the inside of his forearm. And it says, hatred corrodes the container it is carried in. So Senator Alan Simpson apparently was the latest to use the quote. I don't know if he's the original uh, person who came up with it, but he used that quote in a eulogy for President George H.W. Bush a couple of years ago. Uh, In that eulogy, Senator Simpson said, you would have wanted Bush on your side. He never hated anyone. He knew that his uh, he knew what his mother and my mother always knew. Hatred corrodes the container it's carried in. The most decent, honorable man I ever met was my friend George Bush. Mark Twain supposedly once said anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. So the. Timing of the when would you think Matt Lauer got this tattoo? That uh, that's a crisis of of life. If you're 62 years old, very few 62 year olds. It's a reminder. Get new tattoos. It's just a reminder to him. I think his hatred for Ronan Farrow and the whole thing, the whole episode was strong, and it was probably breaking him down. And he wants a reminder. And it's you put those on the, the tattoos on the inside of your forearm are for you to you know whatever message you want. To remind yourself of. Like this one. Yes. Like, see how yours says cheesecake? Why? Do, I can barely read yours because it's a little smudged. It looks like it's been scratched. But I think the name Crabtree is on it. <gasps> just as a reminder. How dare you? In no, the middle of coronavirus, you I bring just up mean, Michael Crabtree? What's next, Kyle Williams? Wow. You want to go down this road? 
apparently we're all emotionally crying. healed. I know. <laughs> God. All right, we come back. Uh, Governor Newsom says yeah. he's going to throw a bone next to the entertainment industry. Talk about what he has planned at his big meeting from yesterday with uh, entertainment executives and what it means for Hollywood coming up. I'm a sucker for all Gary and Shannon. Yeah, you have to actually have cojones to do that. AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the leap of faith. I mean, you got to know when, when to fish and when to cut bait, I suppose. Sometimes you... But you don't need to fish... Well, if the fish is on, already there. If there's no hook. There's a, a new fish right there. A rainbow fish. A rainbow fish? Rainbow fish are beautiful. Like a trout? Something for everyone in a rainbow fish. Is a rainbow fish a kind of fish? I think I'm just, just remembering using... a book called The Rainbow Fish. Yeah, it's a book. Okay. Something uh, in it for everyone. Look at it. Look at it. That's, that's what I mean. You know, it's Aww, beautiful. It's beautiful It's a beautiful fish. It looks like something you'd have uh, posterized up on the wall in the office. Like somebody would have made you a rainbow I've, fish. I drew those fish that we had. That's what I mean. Maybe that it feels like that was an inspiration for you, was that rainbow I fish. I think you're right. See? It's hard to get rid of those childhood memories. Uh, we saw a record number of fatalities reported in California. On Tuesday, the L.A. Times ran with an article today that we had 132 coronavirus-related fatalities Tuesday, which would have been the most in a single day since all of this began. Their problem is, and they don't even mention it until later, Tuesdays are a particularly bad day because data from the previous weekend is typically released all in one fell swoop. So you're looking at basically three days' worth of deaths piled upon what would be a normal – anyway – it's it's a misleading number, and it's unfortunate the L.A. Times went with it and, and made that a giant headline. Life is good today in Ventura County. Dine-in and in-store shopping permitted effective today. The first Southern California county to receive approval from the California Department of Public Health to move forward on an accelerated path to reopening. That's a big deal. Listen, and the other thing about it, because it's adjacent to L.A. County, they're going to see a massive influx of people that oh, want yeah. to just go to a restaurant. Yes. I saw yesterday, what was it? Uh, it was uh, we were watching. We watched the first episode of Dead to Me last night. Yeah, there's a scene where the two women are at a Mexican restaurant drinking margaritas. I had the same feeling when I watched that episode. I thought, what a wonderful time! I know. What what fairy tale world do they live in that they could go enjoy flautas <laughs> and a salted rim? I had the exact same reaction. God, well, Ventura County, being right next door to LA County, has also seen an influx of movie production. Um, not not just in terms of COVID nineteen, but I mean in general, because a lot of times. Sometimes it's porn, but uh, a lot of times the rules around production are different in different counties. And what Gavin Newsom told a panel of movie and TV makers yesterday was that the hope the state hopes to roll out by Monday some uh, uh, guidelines aimed at getting the cameras rolling again. Who 
is going to know how the film industry works in Sacramento? Well, I'm that's, assuming they'd be getting feedback on how filming goes down yes. and all of that. That's why they had people like uh, Ava DuVernay there uh, involved with this director, producer, uh, Netflix chief content officer. Ted Sarandos was in on this call so that they could give their two cents, basically, as to how this thing needs to run. So we may see filming in places like Shasta County. Well, it would make all kinds of sense if. if I mean, the transportation of equipment and everything is going to be an issue. But but if they need if they need to get production going, that that would make sense to do it just in different places. Now, production obviously has been in lockdown since mid-March because of all of this. And a lot of people are trying to get everything back up and running and trying to figure out what it's going to look like. Netflix has productions being uh, worked on right now in South Korea in Iceland, in Sweden, simply because they can't wait around for California to unlock the doors. Uh, Ted Sarandos, again, the chief content officer for Netflix, said in places like Sweden, they're not doing testing, but they are doing voluntary quarantine in the weeks that lead up to and during production. So if you're going to work on a set, they'll tell you ahead of time, you got to you know, stay quarantined for 14 days to make sure that you're negative, that you don't have any symptoms or anything before you work on the set. In Korea, anyone with a symptom is immediately tested. Production is shut down until you get results to make sure that everyone's safe. And in Iceland, for example, they don't do ride sharing to the sets. You are transported separately so as to not transmit the virus if, in fact, you have it. They said that this shutdown has, as we're seeing in other industries, given rise to positive new ways of approaching the work, uh, the production work in this case, including virtual writers rooms, that it's a time to rethink things, having fewer cast and crew members congregating on sets. No matter what guidelines, though, they say are put into place, the insiders talk about implementing these additional health and safety measures are going to certainly drive up already sky-high production costs. Yeah, Uh, and California is not paying attention to this. Gavin Newsom has got to know that we in California, the, the home of production for film and TV, is losing millions, if not billions, of dollars to other states. Well, they already were before this happened. I mean, how much filming went to Atlanta? Atlanta, North Carolina has a huge production facility that's available. Uh, Canada, I mean, British Columbia is making all kinds of money on productions that should otherwise be made here in California, or at least be based here in California. I mean, you look at all the citizens who have picked up and picked up and left California recently because they're just fed up with all all of it. And, you know, the cost of living and the, the nanny state type of stuff and all of that. But they're going to have to take notice when all the businesses start leaving, which we've seen sh- surely happening. Well, because that's tax revenue, and then I almost, what are you going to do? I don't know what it takes. Are you going to pay for all of the needles for the homeless people? Well, I don't know what it takes for them to, to make that realization. I don't like, know What either. is the tipping point for them to go, oh, wait a minute, maybe we need oh, to do wait. something different? Is it when uh, the majority of your tax base starts to leave? Uh, anybody who makes over a quarter of a million dollars a year says, that's enough. I'm going to go to Nevada where I don't have to worry about this anymore, or Arizona or Utah or Idaho or something like that. I, I, I don't know what it takes. This is one of those things. This every, is one of those every industries. Every one of my friends, uh, the ones who are still here, have all thought about when they're going to leave California. I've had the conversation multiple times in the last week with my yeah, wife right. about what does it take? Like, what what's the point? Where where do you 
And then where do you go? Just, I mean, just cost of living alone. That Yeah, exactly. But th- And this, for some reason, this there's nothing more California than the movie and TV industry. There's nothing that's more iconic. You could argue that Silicon Valley, but that's a relatively new thing. Hollywood has been Hollywood for 100 years. And to, to have these conversations without thinking about how can we reinvent Hollywood without pushing it to other places around the country or around the world? How can we make sure that California stays that way? How can we uh, entice people to come back with bigger tax breaks, with more help from the state? And that to drive up at that point, drive up our sales tax revenues or drive up the jobs numbers that we would want to have. That's going to be uh, it, I honestly have zero confidence that that's going to be part of the package that the governor comes up with on Monday. But it should be. This is a great opportunity for him to make huge points when it comes to the movie and film industry, uh, movie and TV industry. And I just don't have the confidence that he's going to do it. At the risk of getting a deluge of emails, we should really talk about the V word when we come back. Uh, Are you sure? No. Okay. We can just present the information. Do you want to just say every time we hit that word, we just say... uh... Sparkles. (laughs) <laughs> okay kids getting sparkles kids getting sparkles and the numbers are down numbers are down for kids getting sparkles gary and shanna will continue in just a moment Just one. Oh, thank you for preparing me for that. Uh, I think they're about the 50-minute episode style. I mean, it's okay. like, I think it's HBO or Showtime show. Yeah, HBO. <clears throat> yeah, there were times when uh, I almost had to look away. Really? And I like them dirty. That's dark. Not the, dark as well. Yeah. I like <laughs> dirty. Them dirty. <laughs> That's uh, not what I meant. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Mm. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. The president is in Michigan. I don't know why I had my geography so wrong. I thought it was going to take a lot longer for him to get to Detroit, but uh, he has landed in Michigan, and he's going to visit a Ford motor plant that has been making ventilators. That, however, is not the biggest issue of this trip. No, Um, it's the flooding. It's the city under all the feats of water. It's the flooding. It's also the fact that he's been criticizing the push for the mail-in ballots in Michigan. And then the issue of does he wear a face covering or not? Well, the governor called on him to wear the face covering and then Ford backed off the request to have him wear the face covering. So even though Ford says it does require everyone who shows up at its factories to wear them and the uh, attorney general for the state of Michigan says it's Michigan law. I mean, in all honesty, I don't I don't care if he wears a face covering or not. Uh, The people who are going to be around him are not going to be sneezing into his open mouth. Um, I know that's not the only way. But this guy's enough of a germaphobe, I can guarantee I'd be more worried about him uh, and whatever he might be carrying with him after all the people close to him have tested positive. I'll be fine. That's the worst that could happen. I just don't understand this whole traveling for the sake of travel thing. 
if we're not all doing that yet? Like, what's the purpose of him going to the flooded out town just for the photo op when the risk is greater than whatever reward you would have? Right. And and any president who does that in, in any event, pandemic or not, strains local first responders. Exactly. So I agree. I'm not sure what that means. Well, we're in a place right now where... Uh, the number of sparkles for kids in California has dropped nearly in half this April compared to last April. Yeah, because parents are scared. They're trying to avoid doctor's offices. We told you yesterday about all the people that are probably going to die because they haven't gone and gotten things checked out because they're scared to go to the hospitals. Okay, but wait, hold on a second. The sparkles aren't being used. What, whatever the first day we was that we was where we used the word coronavirus, what? January, maybe February, early February, when we were talking about this weird respiratory thing coming out of China. In all of that time, has there ever been a report that you can recall of us saying somebody got it from their doctor's office? No. Okay, well, then I understand the fear originally because there was a lot of unknowns. One of the uh, knowns is... Doctors' offices are going to be one of the places that control contamination better than anyone. And the fear of taking your kids to the doctors is now, we know, unfounded. Nationally, the use of sparkles plummeted by 2.5 million between early January and the end of April this year compared to the same time last year. Now, for those of you who are trying to follow along, sparkles are used to prevent your children Measles, from, chicken pox, right. hepatitis. A hepatitis sparkle, a vaccine sparkle. Oh, I just said it. I meant... Measles sparkle. Measles sparkle is what I meant to say. I screwed that up. How did I do that? Um, Karen... Geraldini is a mother of two up in the Bay Area in San Rafael. They started sheltering in place before the order on March 17th. Wow. She was fearful, especially about her newborn. Okay. At the end of March, her two-month-old daughter was scheduled for four sparkles injections. She asked a countywide parent group for advice about what to do. Stop it. That's Marin County for you. Oh, my God. She received numerous responses split between arguing for and against immediate sparkles because of the risks of the exposure. She says it was weighing the two downsides, either possibly exposing a newborn to coronavirus or not giving her the sparkles in time and then exposing her to things that are actually worse. Oh, let me also go down the the trail of all the newborns who have died from coronavirus. Oh, my gosh, they're zero. In the end, she took her baby in for the sparkles. Good for her. The clinic there assured her that the children came in for sparkles only in the morning and that the sick children came only in the afternoon with the cleaning in between. Again, I don't know how many sick children there are in um, in San Rafael. You know, the other thing about the kids is the story that there are kids in New York and even uh, locally here that are having weird symptoms similar to Kawasaki disease. And I'm wondering if it's at all coronavirus related or if it's only a coincidence that it's happening at the same time. So in doing just a, I'm an, not a doctor. Again, I'm not a doctor either, but I would say this in the reading that I've done on that, I think they're calling it um, PIMS now uh, because it's not specifically Kawasaki, though it presents like that. Right. 
that it's a it's a viral reaction. It's a reaction to almost any virus or a, or different viruses. This is the way that the body reacts. Okay. So it's not that it's a coronavirus specific thing or that it is COVID-19. It's that the body is reacting to a virus and it can How be COVID-19. How often does that happen without coronavirus? But see, the thing is, the number is is so small. Yeah. I mean, it's it's there. It's clearly there. There are enough numbers that it's made a headline somewhere. But but it's it's such a small number. If you look at the number of cases and the number of things that would put a kid in the hospital anyway. Right. Um, That's what I'm wondering. It's, it's like I, I, they showed it again today. We mentioned it yesterday. The the bodybuilder, the guy who's 190 pounds, uh, 40 years old, he gets coronavirus and without any underlying conditions, it hits him particularly hard for some reason. And he's in the hospital for four weeks and he loses 50 pounds. And that's the picture that we've been seeing. That's one guy. One of my friends, I was talking to her yesterday. She said one of the people on her team, she's in sales, um, that she is in her 30s, this this woman, and she's tested positive for nine weeks. But it's showing symptoms or, I mean, she's showing symptoms, yeah, obviously, she's to been the point the where hospital, she got tested. She's been out of the hospital the whole bit. But, you know, these are like we like we heard in the beginning, one offs. Yeah. If this was of normal occurrence for women in their 30s to be testing positive for nine weeks, we'd have articles written about it right we'd have barbara ferrer saying there's this new wave that we're seeing so they're going to be these one-off cases of the bodybuilder or right. the woman in her 30s the testicular pain again like you said testicular pain is just a, a part of life if you have testicles i believe is what you said jacob can i get a high five on that right it's just a thing. i didn't even Sometimes that was like that was like thing. one of the Sometimes. huge things i've learned in all of this is that pain can strike the testicles Hold for on no second. reason we've got we went through this then you ever your your foot ever hurt for any reason you're like gosh i don't remember doing anything to my foot but man it feels like it's yeah i just never thought about it before i never thought about it at all i suppose i've also never thought about uterine cramping because i don't you haven't well, I mean, I've heard I'm about sure it, but you I have thought about it. I'm sure people in your life have talked about it to you. Maybe more so than I appreciate. Right. <laughs> I think every man can agree with you on that. Mark Saltzman's going to join us. We're going to do Tech Talk more about the COVID-19 tracking issues when it comes to your smartphone. Gary and Shannon will continue. Thank you. Just let me know when you're ready. I didn't know if that was too soon or... Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Good news, the county's beach bike path has been reopened. 22 miles from the Palisades to Torrance had remained off limits despite beaches being reopened, which made no sense. Uh, so that path is now reopened. That's a beautiful ride. Lori Lachlan is expected to spend a couple of months behind bars. Uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office said that she will plead guilty tomorrow. She and her husband, Massimo Giannulli, accused of paying a half a million dollars to have their girls admitted as crew recruits to the uh, to USC. 
He is going to get five months behind bars when he pleads guilty. But the problem is there's no date set for his hearing. So she's expected to plead guilty tomorrow. The uh, the timing of this could mean neither one of them sees a day behind bars just simply because of pandemic issues. Shocking that they decided to make the, that move right now. I'm surprised it didn't happen a month ago. Well, Mark Saltzman is kind enough to carve out some time for us and Tech Talk every Thursday. The machines are getting smarter. This is Tech Talk, brought to you by Skynet. Mark, before we get to the important stuff, um, can't you just take your mask off and open your iPhone? Like real yeah, quick? Yeah, but that's a pain. Like, you're not supposed to take your mask off, right? I mean, that's the whole mm. point. But what if you're not around anyone? You can just... Yeah, yeah. well, I think that might be preferred to this new solution, <laughs> which Apple unveiled yesterday. It's part of the new operating system update, 13.5, that uh, you may have seen popped up, that little one, uh, beside your uh, settings icon on your iPad or iPhone, and that is to uh, add, among other features, the ability to basically, it's really just bringing back the pin. So Face ID, which replaced Touch ID using your fingerprint to open your phone, was supposed to make things easier. But now with a mask, because your iPhone camera can't see your eyes, nose, and mouth, which is required for Face ID, the next best thing is to uh, just swipe up on your phone and put in that old four digit pin to prove it's really you. It might be more convenient just to pull down your mask, but you're not supposed to. So the idea is that this is just better than not being able to log into your iPhone at all because of the mask. We are a lazy, soft species. <laughs> That's what we've become. Soft. <laughs> Snowflakes. Uh, all, right. all right. So, um, but I should say the COVID-19 tracking software, we talk about contact tracing to try to figure out who, if you are positive, who you might have been around and might have exposed to this. And we talked a little bit about it yesterday. Where do we stand yes. even this week on that whole issue? It's still a mess. I mean, the idea is a good one to use your phone's technology. And specifically, we're talking Bluetooth and GPS to identify when other phones with that same app are nearby. And the onus is on you to say, hey, I've got symptoms COVID-19 or I've, I have it or I did have it. And that is just meant for us to better ease into society. Okay. In theory, on paper, it's a great idea. We all have this smartphone in our pocket, but it's been fraught with issues. There's four main problems with these contact tracing apps. And that's still the case today. Number one, everyone has to be on the same app for it to work. And there are many different solutions right now. I mean, the one that had, seems to have the most promise is, is Google and Apple to competitors teaming up uh, with the CDC and other organizations to, to work with that. But that is still, there's, it's still rolling out. In fact, that update we just talked about with Apple yesterday has that contact tracing uh, app in there. Number two, uptake has been slow. It's not mandatory. So only a small percentage of people are using these contact tracing apps. And again, you're asking people to voluntarily provide information about symptoms that they may have. And that might not be in your comfort zone to, to reveal that, even though it might be for the greater good. Number three, there's some question about their accuracy, including what we call false positives. So there are reports of exposure when none existed. So you could panic. You're in a, you're in a store that is, you know, carefully allowing us to come in now and, and, and socially distance. It could say somebody nearby has it when in fact they don't have COVID-19. And then finally, there's privacy and security concerns. Who has this data? Who has access to it? 
And uh, it, what if there's a data breach? You're now put, putting your information out there. What's being done about, you know, who's accessing it? Or what's be, what about if your phone is stolen? Where's it being stored? I mean, there's all these question marks and people are like, I don't want anything to do with this because I don't trust that these organizations are not going to take advantage of my data. So there's a lot of issues. In theory, again, on paper, it's a smart idea. But it's just it's they're having a lot of problems with all of them. Uh, assuming we could get all of it right, I mean, the idea that tests would be 100 percent accurate, et cetera. Is there a percentage of people in the population who need to have this on their phone before we can get? Uh, I don't know. Is there a tipping yeah. point? Is there? So according to uh, we talked a bit, a bit about this last Thursday, according to one report, uh, as many as 80 percent or four fifths of that state's population has to have the same app for it to work. Oh. I don't think we'll, we're ever going to get to that. No. I mean, it's just too fragmented. You know, India, interestingly, is the one of the very few democracies where the government made this mandatory. And like within like a couple of days, 100 million people downloaded an app. And they're finding more success uh, with it, apparently, and they're not near 80%. But, um, you know, it's, it's, this is all new. This is all new yeah. for all of us. Yeah. We're just doing our best. We don't want an either-or scenario. We don't want to either stay home, and we don't want to throw the doors open and get back to the way things were without any safeguards in place. So it's, it's a smart idea, but uh, it's just not being adopted. It's not proven to be accurate, and uh, not everybody's using the same app. So it's just a real big question mark right now. Mark Saltzman, USA Today columnist, host of Tech It Out, and our friend. Thank you so much for stopping by. We appreciate it. Me too. Thanks, guys. Gary and Shannon will continue. I spent 10,000 hours, 10,000 more. Oh, that's what it takes to learn that sweetheart of yours. And I might never get there, but I'm going to try if it's 10,000. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Michael Cohen, out of jail, released from a federal prison. They say the expectation is that the uh, president's former lawyer will serve the remainder of his sentence on home confinement. Uh, it comes more than a month after he was originally scheduled to go home. Lori Lachlan is... Uh, maybe in the same boat in that she might not ever spend any time in uh, federal prison, but she is going to plead guilty tomorrow. She and her husband have decided to plead guilty, accused of paying $500,000 to have their daughters admitted to USC as part of uh, Operation Varsity Blues is what eventually brought them down. Say it could take days to fully assess damage from flooding that has submerged homes, washed out roads, and threatened a Superfund site there in central Michigan. Heavy rains overtook two dams, and they're retreating. Uh, the floodwaters are retreating in some communities, but continue to threaten others farther downriver. My opinion is that it's too early to determine what the hell is going to happen for school next year. Yes. Next fall. Um, and I know that there are places that say they need to get this in. They need to get some decisions made now for colleges, high schools, elementary schools, about what next fall is going to look like. And there are a couple of places, and these are just examples of uh, different schools doing different things. But Saugus Union School District says that they're aiming for an August 12th start date for the upcoming school year, period. 
which is good in that they're not delaying it into September, et cetera. This would have been their normal time. But they're offering their, the plan right now, at least for that school district, again, this is Saugus, would be two educational formats, a full-time distance learning format, which means you never go on campus, or a blended learning format. Some days you're at school, some days you're at home. And We talked with uh, Justin about that yesterday, yeah. about how it could be like a tapered thing. Some students are there Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Some are there Tuesday, Thursday, and so forth. Well, and alternate schedules were never a thing when I was in high school. I mean, you would you had six classes or whatever it was a day. You go from first period to sixth period, and you go home. And now they do it a lot where you've got three classes one day, three classes the next. You've got an A schedule or a B schedule, odd or even, depending on what school you go to. And it's different. Uh, classes tend to be a little bit longer. It's more of a, uh, I guess, a college style because the classes tend to be longer and you're in your seat longer. So I can imagine that alternating the the students that are on campus every day isn't a huge stretch from that. Uh, the superintendent for Saugus Union School District says that safety is clear the number one priority, and everybody knows that, but that they're talking about masks and other personal protective equipment that would be used. Hand sanitizer stations would be added. Maybe drop some soap into those dispensers in the bathrooms. That's a key. Um I, I just can't imagine who would want to be a teacher in an environment like that. But who would want to be a student in an environment like that where you're well, constantly in a mat behind a mask and behind. Yeah, none, none of us want to be doing this crap. You know, none of it's ideal. But if you can get the kids back into the classrooms in some fashion, the sooner you do that, the better for them. Well, and then college, it's not going to be perfect. College of the Canyons, again, this is an example. It's not the, the way everybody's doing it. But College of the Canyons up in Santa Clarita has decided that almost all of its in-person classes will be canceled for the fall semester. And that distance learning would be the new norm for the remainder of the calendar year. That, that means that some of the lab classes, uh, 7%, they say, of the career technical education would be offered in a hybrid mode. Select labs would have to be held on campus because the way they are doing it right now is really a disservice to the people who are in those classes. Um, there are schools, and some of them even advertise here, there are schools that do this regularly, that do the long-distance learning, and they have maybe not perfected it, but they're good at it. They understand what it takes to do this from a teaching perspective and what the expectation is of the students. If you have a student who's, uh, I don't know, going to be a senior in high school, junior in high school next year, they, I know people who are taking their kids out of school and they're just going to homeschool them because it's not the same level of education. I mean, we've talked about the, the uh, kids that are going to be behind already because of what has happened since the beginning of March and this distance learning that has that has really been uh, hard for them to pick up on. I guess some kids would probably do better, that, but there are some kids who are just never going to learn this stuff while they're at home from a computer. It's just not going to happen. And I wonder if there's going to be – I wonder if it's just too soon to make these types of decisions on this. We know that the – Cal State University Chancellor Timothy White said that all 23 CSU campuses would be canceling all in-person classes for the fall semester, which is a disservice to those places like Humboldt State 
or even Chico State. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be taken campus by campus. And it's frustrating that he made that decision last week. You you can wait until mid-July, early well, August before you make these decisions. We have seen them backtrack, and I am assuming that's exactly what will happen with that decision. It's. I suppose it's better to make that declaration now and not have and then change it exactly because yeah. then people are like, oh, that's great news instead of disappointment. Yeah. Okay. You want to talk trending? We'll do that when we come back. Love to. Gary and Shannon will continue. Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Well, the president just gave some uh, some weird, confusing right? thoughts, confusing remarks. He caught himself, which I thought was funny, and then tried to dig himself out of the comments. And it, I mean, they're not they're not entirely meaningful. It's not like it's. You know, we're, he's not walking us into World War Three by misquoting something, but it was an odd. Everybody knows that he speaks in a very particular way. And uh, he was talking about the daily testing that's been going on at the uh, at the White House to make sure that, you know, people don't have the covid. And um, his comment about how positive it was to be tested and testing in a positive way. About his results. About his results specifically. And I tested very positively in a in another sense. So this morning, yeah, I tested positively toward negative, right? So, no, I tested uh, perfectly this morning. <laughs> meaning, meaning I tested negative. But that's the way of saying it. Positively toward the negative. That's a way of saying it. (laughs) What else is going on? Time for What's Happening. More than 2.4 million people applied for U.S. unemployment benefits last week. That means that now we're at about 39 million people who have filed for unemployment since coronavirus caused millions of businesses to close their doors and cut down their workforces. Uh, We will be talking with Caleb Silver from Investopedia later this hour about these numbers. Uh, As weird as it sounds, they're better than they were last week. So positive sign. I mean, less uh, we suck less than we did before, I guess. Is that a way to... Positively towards the negative? Positively towards the negative, (laughs) yes. Michigan's attorney general said the president will be told not to come back if he refuses to wear a face mask when he goes to tour the Ford motor plant. Uh The Democratic attorney general said, honestly, if he fails to wear a mask, he's going to be asked not to return to any enclosed facility inside our state. Michigan does require some type of face covering in public enclosed spaces. Ford... Ford says you must wear personal protective equipment in there. That's a policy for Ford. They then later backed down and said, well, the White House has its own 
protective procedures and will make its own determinations about whether masks will be worn. I wonder what sort of training Secret Service agents, and I mean just the body group, the people who are on the president right away, what have they been told about people getting close to the president in a time when there could be an infection passed like this? I mean, have they been told to measure out and keep people away? And Because they all have to be tested, too. They're all within a snot length of, uh, of the president also. Lori Lachlan Massimo Giannulli will plead guilty to the college admission scandal charges. How convenient for them that the chances that they get home confinement now because of coronavirus have increased drastically. It looks like she has been sentenced to two months in prison. The husband got five months. They're going to have to pay about 400 grand and do uh, a few hundred hours of community service. It's hard to believe, but they are the 23rd and 24th parents to plead guilty in this case. That's a that's a lot of people. Had a shooting in Arizona in Glendale at a mall that had recently reopened. One victim in critical condition, two other have non-life-threatening injuries, all expected to survive. Happened about 7.30 p.m. last night at the Westgate Entertainment District in Glendale. Uh, there was... Uh... 20-year-old guy who was identified by police, they took him into custody without any further incident. By the time uh, cops got there, all the shooting was done. And they say there's no known motive. Uh, They are aware of reports of disturbing social media videos from the shooter. And they're asking for anybody who may have seen them or have other ones to contact them and hand them over for evidence. But they're going to make sure that they shut down the area to make sure that everybody's safe. So. And then there was another shooting at the Naval Air Station Corpus Christi in Texas this morning. One security guard was shot and injured near the gate there. And very little information has come out over the last several hours. I mean, this story has not changed since we woke up today. Shooter was neutralized. Neutralized, whatever the hell that means. And then this is very cool. If you're an airplane fanatic, you get to see a bunch of, uh, you know, we saw the F-16s from the Air Force Thunderbirds. We've seen the Blue Angels, of course, over the country honoring uh, frontline workers. An 18-plane formation of historic warplanes is going to soar over Inland Empire, Orange, and L.A. counties on Monday, on Memorial Day. Um, Not just for frontline workers, but for veterans who paid the ultimate price. This will include all kinds of, uh, of older airplanes. I can't wait a, to see this. A Douglas C-53D, C-47 Transports, P-40 Warhawks, P-51 Mustangs. That he said we'll be, cool. we'll be up there 70 to 90 minutes. We'll be low, slow, and loud. <laughs> They're going to be carrying a veteran from each war going back 80 years. Wow. Incredible. Uh, it is funny because they talk about they're going to be a whole lot slower than the Thunderbirds were the other day uh, to go through. So you have plenty of time to check them out. Nice, low and slow. All right. We come back. Our small business shout out today. Nick, seriously, barbecue at lunchtime. How dare you, Nick? Uh, Smoky Canyon Barbecue in Riverside. We're going to be talking about them. Get those uh, juices flowing. I mean, like salivary. Gary and Shannon will get, you know, you seem to be doing that a lot more than me today. Oh, okay. Yeah. How about you? You. Because I miss the stupid things that we do. How about you? 
Brian Shannon. KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. President's in Michigan. Bottom of the hour when we get into Swamp Watch, talk about what he's doing. They're in, uh, just outside of Detroit, as a matter of fact, doing something positively for the negative, something. Janice Hahn is asking the governor to allow all retailers in the state to open their doors what? to customers. Who is she? What is she talking about? With limited capacity, mandatory face coverings, and physical distancing requirements. What, what about the science? She says current operating restrictions are hurting small businesses. Well, I then give Janice Hanna boom shakalaka. Yeah, boom shakalaka Thursday. I think that this is a great time for her to get a boom shakalaka. You wondered where the other supervisors had been. There you go. She- boom shakalaka. Ah, boom shakalaka. Where's the one that we like the best? It's right there. But Jacob doesn't have a turn. 40 on me, break you off proper, and even got the cockages. Yeah. yeah. You got that at the end. Yeah. She came out this morning and said, the bike path is open. You feel free to ride from the Palisades to the South Bay. And now she's saying, Newsom, open up the small businesses. We can do this. We can act responsibly. What? That is so, that is not the person I was expecting to say any of that. <laughs> Uh, at the top of the hour, I think it's proof she listens to the show. Steve Gregory is going to join us, and he's going to talk about uh, his conversation with Ralph Tarasas, L.A. City Fire Chief, about uh, that huge explosion from last weekend. It is time for our small business shout-out, brought to you by Spectrum Business. Switch to Spectrum Business and get the best internet and phone for business. Smoky Canyon Barbecue in Riverside. Oh, that sounds delicious. <laughs> Dan Nusser is the owner of Smoky Canyon Barbecue. What's going on, Dan? Hi, guys. I, well, I, I should point out that Pam Nusser is also the owner. Oh, well, you, you want to make uh, sure not to get in trouble at very home. Very smart right? of you to do that. You got that right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you are a Memphis-style barbecue restaurant. What does that entail? Well, we do uh, the meats in a smoker and uh, using hickory, and uh, we create our own barbecue sauces, which we make and sell here at the restaurant. Why? Why did you decide 13 years ago that this was going to be your adventure? That's one of the great questions that we ask ourselves every day. <laughs> <laughs> but but we feel like we uh, saw a niche market uh, that needed to be served, and we just <clears throat> jumped in with both feet and have been here since 2007. I'm picking up a bit of an accent. Where are you from? Uh, Missouri. Ah, Missouri. Were you a hill you person, <laughs> a hill person in Missouri, or a flatlander? I'm from the hills. There you go. That's where the that's where the meat comes from, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so explain. You know, middle of March, your world changes quite a bit. How did you guys adapt to the uh, to the rules of you know no dine in, only take out, that sort of thing? It was difficult. Uh, one of the most difficult things is finding you know what was true and what wasn't true for all the information we were receiving, but we went to take out only here and uh, found a very loyal customer base with our restaurant uh, coming in and uh, getting the the food from us and supporting us. And so we elected to support them. We contacted our uh, food suppliers and we were able to bring in things that our customers weren't able to find, such as the milk and the, uh, beans and toilet paper, things of that type. So that went on for a few weeks. And 
now those things are available, so we're back to takeout only at this time. Oh, my goodness. I'm looking at your menu right now, and wow, mouth-watering menu with the corn muffins and the beef brisket and the St. Louis ribs, pulled pork, fried pickles. Fried pickles <laughs> are my favorite. <laughs> yeah, we we uh, pride ourselves on that, that menu, and most of those are uh, uh, Pam's recipes that uh, she's put in place here. She worked so hard making this thing work, along with our daughter, Nikki. And we just uh, take pride in that we are able to bring uh, Memphis-style barbecue to this area. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't mean to leave out the peach cobbler, by the way. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's a key. Listen, I know that breakfast is kind of hard, and I've... I know that there are places that are open for breakfast. You guys have a great-looking breakfast menu. Is that is that difficult to do on a to takeout, to-go to scenario? Absolutely is. That is one of the uh, meals that does not translate well to takeout. Uh, we pride ourselves. We have big breakfast uh, every Saturday and Sunday, and uh, it just has taken a bit of a nosedive. While we still do have some people coming in, it's not like it was. Well, listen, Dan, we uh, we know that this has been difficult. Let, talk also, if you would, about how it is that you've been protecting your, you know, you guys there in the restaurant, but making sure that you take precautions to protect the people who are coming to pick up food. We have been following the rules as as they've laid them out. So we've been doing the social distancing. We've had our staff wearing masks up until recently when our supervisors for the county stated that uh, that wasn't necessary. But if we have a customer come in, that's what they prefer. We all have our masks on, and uh, we are just uh, want to make sure that we're doing what they're requiring us to do. Well, Dan, thanks for your time, and uh, wow, I'm so glad that uh, we got to talk to you today because I didn't know about Smoky Canyon Barbecue, and now it is on my radar. It looks just <laughs> incredible, that menu. Uh, appreciate it, and tell Pam we say hi as well. I shall do that. Thank you. You bet. Smoky Canyon Barbecue in Riverside. You can find them online, SmokyCanyon.com, and then their social media handle is at BBQ. Today's small business shout-outs, Smoky Canyon Barbecue, brought to you by Spectrum Business. Switch to Spectrum Business. Get the best internet and phone for business. We will dive into Washington, all things Swamp Watch, when we return. Because I don't care when I'm with my baby, yeah. All the bad things disappear. You're making me feel that maybe I am somebody. I can deal with the bad nights when I'm with my baby, yeah. Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Coming up a little bit later, next segment, Caleb Silver from Investopedia is going to join us. We'll talk about the news today, of course, of the unemployment benefits now. Up to nearly 39 million people have applied for unemployment benefits over the last two months, even as we have seen some gradual reopening of economies and some people headed back to work. But uh, 38.6 million, uh, even though the stock market itself has been sort of unhinged from this or unhinged, uh, unconnected. It's, they say it's separate. It's not an indicator of the economy. Yeah, so. uh, I want to talk about this next hour, too, about the Scotty Pippen being super pissed off over the MJ documentary. Yeah. Well, 
Yes. I mean, I... I thought that he was given a lot of respect in, in terms too. of, like, in the first couple episodes, right? I'm trying to remember. I think it was episode two or, or something like that. It was clear that Scottie Pippen was a... He's one of the Integral greatest part. basketball players right. in the history of the league. He just happened... And he happened to play with arguably the top player ever well, in the league. There's a radio host says that episode two of the series has left Pippen beyond livid. So anyway, we'll get into that coming up later next hour. 12.30, though, it's time for Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. First day of the Illinois General Assembly special pandemic session. Uh, the first order of business was to vote that everyone must wear a mask. And there was a state representative, Darren Bailey, who refused to put one on. And he says, if you want to send me or anyone else outside the doors today, I understand. Go right ahead. But you are silencing millions of voices of people who have had enough. So he was kicked out for having a callous Disregard for life. Oh, boy. That's what someone who doesn't wear a mask is? Yes. Or has is a callous disregard for life? Yes. I noticed yesterday uh, there were very few people outside that I saw wearing masks. Even two weeks ago, if anybody that was outside, it seemed, wearing, you know, going for a walk on the sidewalk, they all had masks on. I'm seeing yesterday, a lot of people in the masks uh, walking. Uh, nobody that's running is nobody that's running. I can't do it. I can't either. I saw somebody riding a bicycle and you've seen that hill that I live on. It's, you know, it's a mile and a half up. Right. And, uh, there are guys, I guess it, you could argue it's a training exercise, reducing the force in your lungs. I think breathing when you're running is important, (laughs) but I'm not a doctor. I think it's dangerous to not allow yourself to breathe. The president says he will be finishing his regimen of hydroxychloroquine soon and defended his use of the drug. I didn't know it was an there was an end date. He said, I think it's another day. I had a two week regimen of hydroxychloroquine and I'm still here. I'm still here. Well, the good news is he's testing negatively positive. This was odd. This was uh, before the president boarded Air Force One and made his way to Detroit. It's indicative to me of how much he does not ever want to be considered in a negative light. So much so that he hates the word negative. That's a good connected to him. But it's it to me. It's also one of those things that when you get in front of a microphone, there are people who feel like they have to be artsy or they have to be flowery in their language. Gavin Newsom is a great example right. of that. Eric Garcetti is another example. The president but, is not one of those people. Well, but he wants to appear like he's... Eloquent? Uh, 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 I, I think you're right. It just I think you said it best in terms of that he always wants to be positive. Right. And doesn't even like the N-word. Nothing negative around surrounding that, him. Or I mean, his, the, the negative word right. is what I meant. It's probably a better way to put it. Not the N word. Yeah, that's what I meant. I, I gotcha. God, stupid. The positively. <laughs> oh, let me let me turn that up so that everybody can hear. Thank it, not you. Just me. Um, and I tested. Ah, oh, support from Jacob. Oh, that's my fault. I had that other on. thing up too. That's my fault, not yours. Jeez. But tell Jason if that happens again, he's fired. And I tested very positively in a 
in another sense. So this morning, yeah, I tested positively toward negative, right? So, no, I tested uh, perfectly this morning. Meaning, meaning I tested negative. But that's the way of saying it. Positively toward the negative. Have you taken the antibody? Now listen, the That's video the video is funny. He's clearly good. making fun of him. Like he clearly realizes, "Oh, I'm confusing everybody when I say that. You can do that. You can test perfectly." What does that What does that mean? Perfectly? You are a perfect test subject? Yes. <laughs> uh the president will be touring the uh, Ford Motors plant, one of the Ford Motor plants in uh, Michigan. Today, he's at a big roundtable right now discussing uh, uh, other issues. And I believe that he's talking with uh, religious leaders, if I'm not mistaken. At least some of them are there. Uh, What will happen is the president is going to be at this uh, Ford Motor Plant where they've been making ventilators. And there is some determination yet to be made about whether he's going to wear a mask while inside. Ford originally said anybody who visits their plants has to wear a mask. And then said, but the White House has their own safety protocols so they can do what they want. The uh, very upset attorney general for the state of Michigan said that if the president does not wear a mask when he's asked to, he'll be asked not to come back to any sort of enclosed building in the state of Michigan. Oh, okay, That's going to stop him. These people getting so petty and uh, bad locally. Mm. In local politics, L.A. County Supervisor Janice Hahn has sent a letter to the governor asking for all retailers in the state to be able to open their doors to customers with limited capacity, mandatory face coverings, and social distancing. In the letter, Janice Hahn wrote that current requirements that non-essential retailers offer curbside pickup service during only uh, specific hours during this pande- uh, pandemic are unfair to small businesses while allowing big box stores like Target, Costco, and Walmart to welcome customers inside. She says many of these small businesses are not set up for online orders and curbside pickup has not been a good fit for them. How are you going to go to a small business and do curbside pickup when you can't go inside to see what you want? You don't know exactly what you want. I don't know, but it, but wouldn't... Democrats have been fighting against big stores like Walmart and Target, et cetera, for years, if not decades, because of their business practices. All that's happened in these last 10 weeks is stores like that have gotten even larger. Amazon is an example. Just it's gigantic right now to the point that there's discussion of Jeff Bezos becoming the first ever trillionaire because of what Amazon is and does right now, these small businesses are the places that are taking it in the absolute shorts, if any of them survive. The governor's office has not responded to Janice Hahn's request. Well, to Janice Hahn, I say boom shock a lot. 40 on me, break you off proper, and even got the cockages. Boom shakalaka! Yeah. It's boom shakalaka Thursday. Boom shakalaka! We'll continue coming up. Caleb Silver from Investopedia is going to join us. We'll talk about those unemployment numbers. (laughs) It's a true story, and there's a video. Um, Lawanda wrote to us on Facebook, maybe the president with his comments about uh, positively being negative, um, 
Go back to his obsession with uh, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, who was the author of The Power of Positive Thinking, published in 1952. It was on the bestseller list for 186 weeks, sold 5 million. Now, Donald Trump was only six years old at the time, but it was huge in his household. Uh, His parents loved the teachings of Peale. On Sundays, they would go to Manhattan, where Peale was the head pastor. Uh, The book begins with believe in yourself, have faith in your abilities. He outlines 10 rules to overcome inadequacy attitudes, to build up confidence in your powers. Uh, Rule number one is to formulate and staple indelibly in your mind a mental picture of you as succeeding. Hold this picture tenaciously. Always refer to it, no matter how badly things seem to be going at the moment. That makes perfect sense. I know, right? It says uh, subsequent rules tell the reader to avoid fear thoughts. Never think of yourself as failing. Summon up a positive thought whenever a negative thought concerning your personal powers comes to mind. (laughs) Now, the reason that we're doing this is because today before the president got on Air Force One to fly to Michigan, somebody asked him about if he had been tested because he's been regularly tested. All White House staff are. And he said that he tested positively today. But then had to clarify. I tested positively toward negative. Which, And then he said I tested perfectly, but positively in that the outcome was good. But he didn't even want to say, like you said earlier, he may he has an aversion to the word negative. Yeah, and that explains it. Uh, he told the Iowa Family Leadership Summit when he was running in 2016, I still remember those sermons. You could listen to Peel all day long. I don't know about that. I tested positively toward negative. All right. uh, There was a negative thing that happened today in that the number of Americans applying for unemployment benefits, we realized 2.4 million people filed for jobless aid uh, last week. And as we have over the last couple of weeks, we're talking with Caleb Silver, editor-in-chief of Investopedia out of New York, about what's going on. Caleb, um, the numbers, uh, they suck less than they did last week, but we're still in the wrong place, right? Right. The only positive you can take from the negative numbers is that they're going down and been going down for the last seven weeks in a row. But we still had 2.4 million people filing for first-time unemployment claims last week. That's about the size of the city of Houston, basically applying for unemployment. Uh, and now we have about 38.6 million who are out of work as of the past eight or nine weeks. That's about a quarter of the U.S. working population. So the numbers are staggering, and we can only hope that it continues to slow from here, and then hiring begins as we get into the summer. Well, if 2.4 million people filed for jobless aid last week, how does that compare to, say, the beginning of January when the numbers were, were the unemployment numbers or employment numbers were excellent? Uh, a regular week would be 50,000 people, 25,000 people, 70,000 people filing for first time unemployment. But that's the regular churn of the workforce. We're having a situation right now where work, the workforce is basically at a standstill, although it's coming back to life in certain states. I know California is trying to. And that the problem is the hiring will not come back as fast as the firing happened because companies do not need that many employees right now until demand returns and demand won't return until consumers start spending. I'm curious as to how many of those jobs will be permanently lost because companies find that they're just, you know, non-essential. Yeah, I think companies are having to rethink the way they operate, especially companies that have a lot of interaction between employees and a lot of interaction between employees and customers. So think about restaurants, but also think about those meat plants or or think about farms where there's a face-to-face interaction happening uh, where you're going to have to separate those folks. And that's going to slow down the way those industries work. So a great rethinking is going to have to happen, which could lead to a, a, a long time before jobs come back. 
We've also talked how um, uh, talked before about how the market, the stock market in general, appears to not even be paying attention to these unemployment numbers. Can you explain that disconnect? Yeah, well, the market, the stock market, and the economy have never been more divorced than they are right now. We're basically flat from a year ago, if you can believe that. The the Nasdaq is almost back to the the highs that it was in February. But that's because investors are always looking to the future. They're looking for the future of profitability of companies. And they're not telling us anything right now, companies. So they're, we're assuming that in 2021, business gets better. Plus, you've had the Federal Reserve pumping in $1.5 trillion in monetary policy stimulus, basically keeping interest rates at zero and putting money in the corporate bond market. All that is giving investors uh, some uh, wind at their backs to invest right now. And the stock market keeps going up despite the horrible economic news. Well, I wish, I wish we could talk to you about uh, rainbows and unicorns someday and have all good news because I feel like every time we talk to you, it's, uh, it's bad, bad times. We've got to stop meeting like this, but <laughs> things are going to get better. Things are going to get better, and I hope you'll have me back when they do. But we just, this is just a very intense time for the U.S. economy. Yeah, and I wonder, uh, you know, when we do start to see if it's next week or even the week after that, the numbers of these unemployment claims hopefully going way down – because we're starting to see things reopen and because people are being able to uh, to get their jobs back. Do you expect that before the 1st of June? I expect that in some industries. But think about the restaurant industry or the hospitality industry, which is so big in your state. Uh, I think it's going to be a long time before we see that come back robustly. But you're going to start to see it in industries uh, in where we're going to be able to have that kind of consumer demand where, you're, where the social distancing, even if it's lessened a little bit, does allow – customers and consumers to start spending money discretionarily because they haven't been doing that yeah good point all right caleb we appreciate it thank you you bet caleb silver there uh investor uh, editor-in-chief of investopedia out of new york all right coming up next steve gregory will join us for uh, a cup updates on a couple different stories also coming up in the next hour everyone is mad at michael jordan who's not a fan uh, when that documentary came out on ESPN, the 10-part series, Michael Jordan said, if you didn't like me uh, before, you're not going to like me after you see it. And for me, I waited the whole time to figure out when it was that I was going to start not liking Michael Jordan, and it never came. In fact, I think fans were even more reminded of how he was the greatest. And uh, the players he played with, however, are the ones who seem the most hot. About the most all of it. Positively negative about the whole thing. I tested positively <laughs> toward negative. Gary and Shannon will continue after this. I was wondering the same thing because it's like uh, Catherine Barger and Hilda Solis that get to have this all this FaceTime once a day. And wondering what the other supervisors have been up to. And Janice Hahn answered that question today when we found out she sent a letter to the governor saying, time to open up all these small businesses in California. They are hurting as the Costco's and the Amazon's of the world gain all of the business. <laughs> Gary and Shannon, <laughs> KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Uh, positively the most negative show on the station. I tested positively toward negative. Steve Gregory joins us now. <laughs> I tested positive toward negative. Had you not heard that? No. Do you he not was... listen to the show? What do you work for LA County now? You got to wipe off the microphone sure in the middle. Everyone still had the, the the sense of that we were wiping stuff down. Fantastic. Great. For the four people. No. 
three people who are in this room on a regular basis. I, no, I guess you're four. You'd I think I'm the only one that sits at this chair on this mic. Yes. Yeah. Look at this apple. Doesn't it look delicious? Is it different than the apple I just ate? Why would it be different? It's the same kind of apple. I'm just Let's let's wait look. until the break before we uh, take our first bite because <laughs> okay. I know that the time between your first bite and last bite of the apple gets <laughs> compressed every single day. Dr. Barbara Ferrer says we have 46 new deaths in LA County. So yeah. we're up over 2000 now. Yeah, we're stabilizing. Um and it's interesting because this time of the week is when it typically spikes. Yeah. And so I think this is a sign that, uh, I mean, at least for this last week. Um, that we're down. That we're, we're stabilizing, yeah. at least stabilizing. But, um, you know, this next week or so is going to be an indicator. Yeah. It will well, be. Look, uh, the, the positivity that came out, the positive negativity. I tested positively toward negative. That came out of the L.A. Times uh, from late last night and this morning about why we're seeing progress in the state in general is that we've seen a huge decrease in, well, 15% decrease in hospitalizations since our peak, which is a significant number. But we'll talk more about that later. Um, you had a uh, you had an interview with Ralph Taraz. Yes. Uh, explain how, how L.A. City Fire is now handling what we now know uh, could be a series of smoke shops, vape shops that may be Illegal. Con- contain butane when they're not supposed to, or they they have it stored when they shouldn't, and that sort of thing, and yeah. then it's not labeled. And- so as a result of this fire that happened Saturday, in which 12 firefighters were injured, and we find out that there was butane in the building and CO2 canisters, uh, some very volatile and flammable uh, product, Terrazas has ordered firefighters from all 106 stations in the city to go out and start doing what he calls windshield inspections. That basically means... The firefighters look through the look through their windows as they're driving by all these businesses, and they're going to see if there's any signage out front that indicates that they're storing hazardous materials or flammable materials. And then it's up to those uh, firefighters to report back. And then if it requires a follow up, then a fire inspector will go out in person. Am I right in thinking that the uh, those signs they're looking for they're the diamond sign they're a diamond sign mm-hmm. it's cut into four segments and each one would have a number mm-hmm. or a symbol number, in it or symbol like and okay. a color and a color that's right yeah, okay. to indicate the gas or the or the chemical property you know whatever whatever's inside got it so and you see it on on trucks a lot too on flatbeds or on trucks that are hauling that kind of material. tankers yeah, yeah tankers so that's the step that he's taken he's very i can tell this really um pissed him off this thing on saturday really upset him and it, um, when you, you know, when you see 12 of his firefighters injured, and this is not the first time a fire has happened, not only in that area downtown, but in those types of businesses that are operating illegally. Now, this one has not been uh, determined to have operated illegally. It just all points that direction, but there's absolutely, you know, they've not been charged with anything. That's what the investigation, there are more than 50 investigators on that site right now with three agencies. Uh, in fact, Terrazas told me this morning that he expects a cause of the fire in weeks instead of months. Because I asked him, I said, well, now that the ATF's involved, that's going to slow everything down. He goes, yeah, he said, it will. But he said, fortunately, our investigators did a lot of the great work of preserving the scene in advance. So that ATF has an easier job. Well, I can understand. I mean, to go back to what you're saying, that the chief is pissed off about this whole thing. He was within seconds of losing a dozen yeah. firefighters. I mean, right. it, it- 
should have been so much worse. It was a miracle they were able to now, get out of there. Here's the funny thing. So I've got this cut because in the interview, because I wanted to ask him now that he's had a chance to sit back and sort of, you know, get some rest, reevaluate, and now seeing that 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 moment of the explosion from various different angles, because a lot of different footage had been coming out. I, I reminded him, I said, well, you saw it on my phone on that Saturday night with the mayor. I mean, so now when you see this, and uh, here's the cut, uh, Jacob, this, but this is, I said, now what are you feeling now that you see it? Yeah, Stephen, thank you for showing it to me. You know, uh, uh, the, the descriptions our firefighters gave to me did not match your picture, your, the video you showed. Um, the video was much more dramatic and compelling and, and my thoughts that I shared with you that night continue to remain the same. Number one, uh, it's amazing our firefighters survived that amount of fire. Number two, our turnouts have did a very good job. And I've learned more about uh, the three layers and the air pockets and, and our testing standards. We actually exceed the NFPA standards. And I have no doubt that the turnout gear uh, reduced and minimized the injuries that they suffered. The third area continues to be uh, my desire to address the conditions that existed in that business. We cannot allow businesses like that to continue to do operation in our city. And that's that's going to be the basis for our windshield survey program. The thing that was interesting about that too is that uh you know he, he's very upset about all of this and again it was very unusual for him to mobilize firefighters from all 106 stations in the city to go out and, and put a put a stop to this um but you know he says if there had been a the diamond placard on the front of the building they would have gotten out sooner because he said that one of the firefighters now that he goes over and visits every day he goes to still visits the firefighters that are in the the one that's at U, county usc still in the four in the burn center and he says, and they, and they start to talk about it. It's very cathartic now, and they're all starting to talk about that experience. And, of course, they just see it as doing their job. Right. They don't see themselves as heroes. They never do. But he said that the one started to describe it because if you recall when we were talking about it on Monday, um, they were talking about this high pitch with a rumble and then feeling that smoke pressure. He says one of the firefighters, he said they were all different um, accounts of what happened, but they were all similar. They all had you know, it was all similar because one guy, he said that he said he, someone told him it sounded like a helicopter was coming in for a landing and it just got louder and louder mm. and louder and louder. Now, um, I did read another story. It looks like some law enforcement sources have told the L.A. Times that there was no evidence in the building that they were manufacturing anything illegally. Just so storing it. It, it may be just they were storing it improperly. Well, either way, I mean, we. We as a city, I suppose, if you want to use that terminology, dodged a bullet. I mean, yeah, just and it was a matter of seconds. And like you said, it's just really the gut reaction and the training of those guys that were there and the firefighter who eventually called for everybody to leave yeah. to get out of the building. It's just I mean, he he just keeps saying this is they were so lucky. And in the turnouts, they learned a lot about their gear that night, too. Yeah, I bet. And that's got to be one thing in terms of the, the confidence that they have in their gear. It's got to be. It's one thing to have worn those, you know, uh, firefighters can wear those for their entire career and never be threatened. You know? Right. But usually they're not having to run through 30-foot-tall walls of flame. Yeah. No. Because the temperature, I mean, they're, they're, only with, they're only built to withstand so much heat. And they're usually not right. in the flames themselves. Right. No, they're not designed necessarily for direct flame. Right. 
but it, but I mean, it's designed to resist it. But I mean, if they had been wearing the same yellow fire coats that the TV reporters wear, they would not have. It would have been a different story. Gary and Shannon will continue. Such a dig. You gotta always take a shot. Man, poor TV reporters. What did they ever do to you? I'm not taking. I'm telling. Am I not? So am I saying something inaccurate? Because you want to be a TV reporter. Do I look like I should be a TV reporter? Yes. Yes. Oh come on. Positively negative. I tested positively toward negative. Yes, that's what Steve did. <laughs> I lost my TV body 35 years ago. Where'd you hide it? I have no idea. I think it's in the back hills of Colorado somewhere. <laughs> I'm going to eat this apple. Great. Uh, Steve, you want to stick around and watch this? Why not? I yes. have nothing else going on. Gary and Shannon will continue. Look, I don't mean to frustrate, but I always make the same mistakes. Yeah, always make the same mistakes, Christ. I'm bad in love. Ooh, but you can't blame me for trying. You know I'd be lying, saying, I don't like watching that guy clean the microphone off. The guy for L.A. County? Yeah. Why? Well, that thing? Yeah. Yeah, that's it's an odd... Uh, anyway. Is Solis wearing a name tag? But would it be you... worse if it was a woman doing it? You know? It's just a lose-lose. It's just a positively negative scene. I tested positively <laughs> toward negative president is uh, getting a tour of what's going on in the Ford Motor Plant, where they've been uh, making not just ventilators, but other personal protective equipment. And he was asked about whether or not he wore a mask because of the kerfuffle about whether Ford requires them and if he was going to wear one. And the attorney general of Michigan saying that if he doesn't, he's not going to be asked back. Uh, He did say he wore one earlier. So when he was in the back taking an actual tour of the whole facility, he said that... Um, They're asking the question about uh, Janice Hahn's ooh. letter to the governor. Hey, Jacob, do you think we might be able to pull uh, L.A. County up and see if we can get something from there? They're talking about the letter that we referenced right at the end. I wonder if you could explain why that isn't, should be happening now, um, or perhaps explain even if you have any support for that or would support um, a directive from the governor to allow that to happen. Thank you. Well, I... I uh just became aware of a letter that Supervisor Hahn sent to the governor. Of course, um, that is uh, the privilege of any board member to send correspondence. But what I would say to you is that uh, when we started in this uh, COVID pandemic, we knew that it was very important for people to have essential items like food supplies, uh, sanitation, things of that nature, nature that were really essential. And I do believe that that was the purpose of allowing for some of our uh, not just um, grocery stores, but places like uh, warehousing, Costco, and others to be able to provide that. We've since learned, though, that they also have had to take the responsibility to implement plans for social distancing, mass coverage, all of the things that we have talked about. And it took a while to get all that going, and it's going to take a lot more time, I believe, even for our smaller businesses to get there. So we are learning by example, and I want to see that we uh, really pay attention to the data that's been presented by uh, Dr. Ferrer on an ongoing basis. It looks like we are improving. I wish that we could speed things up, but I would be very... um, 
remiss if, if I were to say that because we have to follow along the lines that we are prescribed by the governor of California. And I think that we want to adhere to that as best we can. And we are, we are noting that there are many people that are, that are suffering right now that have lost their job, jobs and many small businesses that are unsure if they're going to be able to come back right away. But we're also trying to provide whatever assistance we can through our own uh, efforts here in the county to try to provide at least a measure of relief to them. So with that, um, I, I would ask Dr. Ferrer if she would like to say anything. I think, okay, next question. Our next question comes from the line well, she of really Jack even Dolan. Answer the no, question she didn't there? answer the question. What she did is what, right. what we commonly refer to in the business as talking points. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so let's go back to the beginning of this because uh, Janice Hahn, a supervisor, has apparently written a letter to Gavin Newsom asking for uh, the ability for small businesses to open up because – if they don't, there is a chance they're going to lose all kinds of money to the the major stores, the targets and the Walmarts, the bigger stores. And never come back. And, never and that crushes back. the economy as a whole. Now, she's not just saying open up the small businesses willy-nilly, but put precautions in place, like limit the amount of people in one store at one time. Abide by that six feet social distancing rule, wear the face coverings, things like that. But we've got to start pumping some money back into these businesses so that they can stay afloat. The uh, uh, I, I, this isn't a it was a weird response that Hilda Solis had where she said it's the uh, the what's the word that she used? Oh, it, it's a uh, it is the um, uh, privilege or the, the privilege the, every every board of supervisor or every supervisor on the board has the privilege, privilege of, writing of writing a letter to the governor. So this is what I think when Shannon and I were talking about this is like, I think there's some strife going on between the five of them. Yeah. There's gotta be. And, and, and I don't know whether it's because each of the, each of them represent a district. I think that, I think ultimately everyone wants to be open, but I think some districts feel like they can open sooner than others, i.e. Santa Clarita, Palmdale, Lancaster, as a, they wanted to combine as a region um, so, and I don't know what the, the status is on that because they, Barger had said they had approached her and she's supposed to be sort of, uh, you know, lobbying the governor's office on behalf of those three cities. But then you have what happened a couple of days ago when we spoke about the economic resiliency task force, where she's now saying July 4th, pr- presumably for the entire County. So uh, this is a patchwork there. You know, they're all getting beat up. Of when their constituents and their business owners, and uh, it's just interesting. To see. Well, it's, you mentioned the Santa Clarita Valley. Uh, the state senator from the area, Scott Wilk, and the assemblyman Tom Lackey have come together, and they wrote a letter to the governor asking for them to sort of be disconnected from the rest of LA County because the the circumstances are different up there than they are in other places. And in that letter, they reference the fact that that LA County itself is as large as Michigan, right? And there are so many different areas that uh, that have been affected by this differently, um, and that's why they wanted to see things in that sort of the high desert northern L.A. County area be sort of detached from the rest of it. And I believe you had spoken about the, the letter that Han had sent, and, and she also, I think, made mention the fact that it needs to be a level playing field. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's hard to say because, you know, listening to Jerry Greenberg, again, the owner of, of Sugarfish, who's on that task force, Saying that you know there's about twenty, I think he said, I believe he said the number twenty percent of the restaurants that have closed in L.A. will not 
be able to reopen, period. That seems like a conservative estimate. Yeah. Quick uh, update out of Corpus Christi, Texas. We talked about this shooting at the Naval Air Station earlier and how very little had come out. Well, we're getting fresh details now, and they do believe that terrorism is believed to be a factor in this shooting at the, the air base early this morning there. The FBI says the suspect was shot and killed this morning after the person shot at a Navy police officer. That officer was taken to the hospital and released. The FBI and police now say they're looking for a potential second suspect. But that's all they'll say. They did say the public is not in danger. So this seems to be targeted. I feel like that second suspect thing is pretty common, but that it never pans out. Totally. Uh, all right, Steve, we, we love you for that, and we need you now. Uh, so thank you, and we appreciate care, everything that you do for us. Mm-hmm. Big Daddy's downtown. Mm. I love you for that, and I need you now. The Big Daddy is here downtown. Mm-hmm. Jerry and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. I have a good coronavirus story. Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Better be good because I've fallen for this before. It can't just be like that positively negative stuff that you keep saying all the time or negatively positive. A lack of something makes it a positive. I don't even remember what happened. Just I tested positively pos- toward negative. Positively toward negative. It's about a six-year-old boy. In Johns Island, South Carolina. Did he get it? Did he get the COVID? No. Oh, good. He helped crack open a nearly decades-old robbery case when he decided to take up magnet fishing to ward off boredom during the coronavirus. Wait a minute. He's like Encyclopedia Brown. He reeled in a locked safe from the bottom of a lake there in South Carolina. Hold on. Time out. He's six. How big is this safe? I do not know. This sounds like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. The boy was out with his family at Whitney Lake this month when the magnet attached to his line stuck to something heavy in the mud below. With the help of a bystander, Little Knox was able to pull that safe in, pry it open, and it turned out to be a waterlogged lockbox containing debris-covered jewelry and credit cards, as well as a checkbook. Child's father, Jonathan, told the news, I knew the right thing to do was go ahead and call the local authorities, get them involved, try to solve this mystery. And they determined that the sunken safe belonged to a woman who lived across the street from the lake. It was stolen from her home about eight years ago. Now, most of the expensive items had been taken, but they were still able to reunite her with charms from an old bracelet. And the first thing she did was kneel down Hug Knox and thank him and thank him for bringing that closure to her. That's nice. Isn't that a nice story? <sighs> Did you ever read any Encyclopedia Brown? No. You know who that is? I mean, the character, yes. he was a kid detective. Yeah. And his sure. dad, like his dad was a police officer, I think, right? His dad. Yeah, his dad was the chief of police and his mom was uh, Mrs. Brown. That's all. And his friend Sally would be the one that helped him out. She was a tough guy. 
He was one of those tomboys. I think they always had something going on. Really? Oh, yeah. I've seen some late fan fiction as of like Encyclopedia Brown and, and Sally grow up. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's, it gets pretty. Uh, you know, I have a, a bunch of books at home that I'm happy to bring in for you. Like uh, stacks and stacks. My husband was just like, what are we going to do with all these books? Like, well, we'll give them to people. I'd rather you reading those books and reading uh, Encyclopedia Brown fan fiction. All right. Uh, for your mental health. All right, so the uh, briefly, the Michael Jordan documentary, 10-part oh, yes. series on Netflix. All the fans loved it. It seems like all the players who played with him during these years did not love it. Scottie Pippen is the latest name. They say that Scottie Pippen is beyond livid and angry at Michael Jordan over his own portrayal in The Last Dance. Uh, Horace Grant yesterday labeled the show 90% BS. According to ESPN radio host David Kaplan, don't know him, Scottie Pippen is angry. The issue is the second episode. The second episode details how Scottie Pippen is embroiled in this contract dispute with the Bulls and that he delayed surgery on his ankle until the beginning of the season, which kept him sidelined for two months. Right. So so Jordan at one point in that second episode, I don't remember him using this word. I don't but, either. But Jordan called Pippen selfish uh, for the decision to have surgery at the beginning of the season rather than earlier at the, you know, in the offseason. So he'd be ready to go. Uh, a decision that he admitted in the documentary was motivated by the desire to protect his value with free agency looming the summer of 98 and his bitterness over the contract that he signed back in 91. So Kaplan says he felt like up until the last few minutes of game six against the Jazz, it was bash Scotty, bash Scotty, bash Scotty. And that Scotty Pippen didn't know what he was getting into, getting himself into regarding the series overall. Horace Grant was on the same radio show, like I said, described it as 90% BS. He said, I would say it was entertaining, but we know who was there as teammates that about 90% of it was BS in terms of the realness of it. It wasn't real because a lot of the things Jordan said to some of his teammates that his teammates went back at him, but all of that was kind of edited out of the documentary, if that's what you want to call it. And they all are mad at him for snitching the story about the cocaine circus when Jordan arrived in the early 80s and the teammates were into drinking and the cocaine, although a strong argument would be made for the majority of the population in the early 80s. Now, your your point about Horace Grant saying that uh, 90% of it was BS in terms of the realness, he says a lot of things Jordan said to some of uh, his teammates – that his teammates went back at him. All of that was kind of edited out of the documentary, if you want to call it a documentary. Grant went off on Jordan on a number of different topics, but took specific offense to his claim, the, to Jordan's claim that he had been a source for Sam Smith's book in 1992, The Jordan Rules, which comes up in one of the earlier episodes. And, and he's, he says, my point is, he said that I was the snitch, but yet and still, after 35 years, he brings up his rookie year going into one of his teammates' rooms and seeing coke and weed and women. My point is, why did you bring that up? What's that got to do with anything? Yeah, it's kind of like a broken fraternity rule. Yeah. You know, that you oh, don't share that, that kind of stuff. Um, and then Grant said it was heartbreaking to watch it play out in real life when you saw Michael Jordan going up against his teammates like Steve Kerr, like when they, you know, he punched him. And Will Purdue as well, that uh, it, w- it was heartbreaking to watch. And then Gary Payton also did an interview. Remember, the best meme is 
Michael Jordan watching interview footage of Gary Payton saying that he could he could defend Michael Jordan. And MJ's like laughing at it, saying like, no, 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 no. It had nothing to do with him. I was having other personal issues. So Gary Payton was talking about it. And he said that he was very hot when he saw Jordan laugh him off in the documentary. He said, you know, I was hot. I was thinking about calling him at the time. But you know what? That's what I expect out of Mike, because I would have said the same thing. Yeah, I would have said the same later. thing. And then um, uh, Carl Malone did a similar interview recently where they asked him about Michael Jordan. And he's like, I would have done the same thing. I mean, all these guys think they're the best. That's how they get to be at the upper echelon of the sport. Right. You know, I think um, uh, Carl Malone's words was, I was a bad SOB as well. Yeah. I was good too. I'm Carl freaking Malone. It is interesting. (laughs) I mean, I I hadn't seen the, the backlash or the criticism from the other people involved in this and really until late last night or early today. And the uh, guy for CBS sports, a guy named Bob Quinn wrote this or Sam Quinn, sorry, wrote this article and said, the irony in that is that, even though the documentary leans towards Jordan's perspective on these events, he's talking about the fact that he had a producer credit on this whole thing. It upset so many of his teammates that the series aftermath may do more damage to his reputation than the documentary yeah. himself. Itself. Totally. And you think about that because uh, I know ESPN, uh, Stephen A. Smith was going to put together a show the after the last dance, you know, and I wonder if that deals with the hurt feelings or maybe, but I, if I'm Correct. I believe Stephen A. Smith was lashing out against the guys that were upset. I, listen, I, I don't know what they expected. If you you know going into it, oh, yeah. Jordan's behind this. Jordan gets editorial say on this whole thing. Well, and nobody's perfect. You know, yeah. if we were to do a documentary about this show, that's a that sounds like a fascinating. You know, and we looked at some footage of us and the things that we say or do, we'd Just, be like, "Oh my god!" The people that used to work here, what would they say about us if they heard what we said? Or what? I mean, just actually, we're pretty nice. The people that have been through here that we felt didn't measure up, that we had to get rid of and find new teammates, team team members. Oh, all the people that we We've, steamrolled. Yeah, what would they say about us? I don't know. Let's just let's make sure we have a producer credit on this and then we have editorial control, at least some degree. Gary and Shannon will continue. And on one channel, we'll play it with the bad words. And on the other <laughs> channel, we'll, we'll play it clean for the kids. You know. Oh, it's a completely different program. <laughs> Baby, please have mercy on me. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Big stories today. The president right now is uh, giving remarks on the floor of a a Ford plant in Michigan. He's up there looking at uh, Ford taking over their uh, ventilator production, etc. He says he did wear a mask earlier in the... Earlier in the day when he was in the back part of the factory. The governor there, Gretchen Whitmer, has won in a high-stakes challenge from Republican lawmakers who sued over her authority to declare emergencies and sweeping restrictions during this whole thing. A judge said a 1945 law cited by Whitmer is not limited to local and regional emergencies only. 
The House and Senate, which are controlled both by Republicans, did not extend her disaster emergency declaration in late April, but she acted anyway. Uh, L.A. County came out today with their updated numbers. Uh, Dr. Barbara Ferrer announced 46 new deaths in L.A. County. We're up over 2,000 in the county alone. 1,204 new cases have been reported, so up over 42,000 positive cases uh, that have been reported. I don't Every time I talk to my kids about phones that were plugged into the walls, they just, they don't, they don't get it. And old phone technology always came with weird little quirks to it where it was easy to call a wrong number because you didn't, you know, you had to dial the number. You couldn't just plug in someone's phone or tap their contact information. Yeah. There was even a weird thing in our neighborhood where every once in a while I'd pick up the phone to make a phone call and it was connected to some line down the street. Like I would hear a phone, I would hear a conversation already going on. It's still odd to me not to know numbers. Like I was on the phone with like my best friend yesterday sending her something. And I was like, what's your number? You know, this is somebody I talk to every day or most days, you know, and, you in, and and when I was when there was the phone plugged into the wall, you had all these numbers memorized, right? right? And now it's like I wouldn't know how to call her if her contact was deleted. So I know my home number that I grew up with, yes, but I don't know my son's phone number exactly. And it's uh, it's a little bit weird. It's a weird feeling. Well, there was a story that uh, NPR did. Some one of the reporters was trying to contact Elon Musk about the story that we talked about last week, where he wanted to reopen the plant in Fremont in Alameda County the Tesla plant. And so he, the reporter calls a number for Elon Musk and gets not Elon Musk. He gets 25 year old Lindsay Tucker, a skincare consultant who works at Sephora in San Jose and has no idea who Elon Musk is really. And she told her mom, I keep getting these text messages uh, for this guy, Elon Musk. I don't know who this is. She says, my mom's jaw just dropped. Well, I mean, this reporter stumbles on this story about a woman who has Elon Musk's old phone number. AT&T apparently just, I'm well, I, all the phone companies do, but they would just randomly hand out these old, retired, unused phone numbers. And she, this uh, Lindsay Tucker, happened to get Elon Musk's old number. So she's getting all these texts uh, and calls like a South African businessman asking about buying a thousand trucks or the IRS calling about a complicated tax issue. She says, uh, I, th- I assumed I'd messed something up. It was a huge release, a relief. They weren't looking for me. I like that John Lasseter, the former Disney exec, the Pixar guy, John Lasseter texted about the Tesla that he bought saying, this is a magnificent car. The self-driving is a trip. Well, Lindsay Tucker happened to go to college with John Lasseter's son and said, I got to talk to him, the son, and apologize for never messaging his father back. We ended up laughing about the whole thing. That's funny. If you, by the way, what she says is, if you contact Elon Musk and he doesn't get right back to you, you've probably contacted her instead. So you might want to check the updated number for uh, for Elon Musk. I always thought it was funny when I would leave different radio stations and go on to the next one, and then your cell phone would be passed down to whoever whoever the reporter was. that You have my old number. I do? Yeah. No way. Absolutely. That is crazy. Yeah, I know. How come you never told me that? I've told you that before, I think. So those nudes I get all the time are really for you? They might be. I don't know. Oh, my goodness. I had to tell that girl after the last girl that she needed to stop sending that. I'm just kidding. How did that That, work? That's never happened. 
Let I'm me tell trying you, to remember. When I had that number, yeah. it was not capable of sending those kinds of that pictures. That is so funny. Um, yeah, so like, and I would get messages from the friends who had the cell phones in Seattle or Sacramento or whatever, and they, you know, uh, usually it was just like sources that would call. It was never right. anything, you know, it was never, it was never weird. pictures. Right, because it was a long time. It was before pictures. Sure, it was. I can't believe I have your number. John is here. What do you guys have coming up today? Uh, um, well, we're going to play a lot of clips uh, from uh, Fox 11 had an interview with Catherine Barger last night. Oh, okay. And uh, there seems to be confusion as to who's actually in charge. Isn't yeah. it great? Yeah. And then the letter because, from Janice Hahn today to the governor as well? Yeah, like, you got five supervisors. A public health director is out of control. You got the mayor. You got the governor. And they're all saying different things on any different day. And uh, they're contradicting each other a lot. I yeah. want the county's public health director to appear healthier. <laughs> she could use a cheeseburger. <laughs> I mean, is anybody else thinking and the a, same thing? And a cocktail, too. She needs to loosen up. I, I don't think she does that. It's, uh, I don't think she does that. You know, a beer and a cheeseburger would change her a lot. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. <laughs> All right, John and Kat up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Look, this is terrible. Gary and Shannon. It makes me mildly nauseous.